0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. On this first Sunday of December, uh, we are gathering in part to begin to remember and then celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the central event. Our understanding is a central event in all of human history. Now, when God decided to take on a body and come to earth to save us, he selected the time, he selected the place. (laughs) And he selected all of the individuals who would be on that stage with him. And I think we could agree that no one other than himself was more central than Mary, his mother, the mother of Jesus. There there is really no other woman like Mary in all of history, and there never will be. She was the only woman to be a virgin, conceive, and give birth. Uh, She is the only woman to give birth to a person who was both fully man and fully God, the second person of the Trinity, the Savior of the world. And this is what earned her the title, Mother of God, which is the title of the message series we're going to be doing leading up to, to Christmas. She is the only woman, the only person that was with Jesus from his birth all the way through to his death and his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven. In fact, she had a front row seat for every part Of God's work of salvation. So it didn't take long for people to begin to elevate her and say things about her that were a little bit beyond what the Bible actually says about her. Claims began to emerge that she herself was born sinless, that she lived a sinless life, that she miraculously had no pain in childbirth, that instead of dying, she was simply whisked off to heaven. Ideas began to emerge that she herself has the power to give God's grace, and she can be prayed to directly as a mediator between us and Jesus Christ. These and other embellished and false ideas that are not in the Bible eventually became part of Catholic doctrine and formed some of what eventually divided Catholics and Protestants. But now all of these centuries later, the tendency, I think, now is for Catholics to make a little bit too much of Mary, and I think, if I'll be honest, us Protestants to make far too little of her. So in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to kind of try to correct maybe some of that um, unbalance, and we will be considering Mary, the mother of God. And we'll be looking particularly at her and what the Bible says about her and what we can learn from her life. So let's begin where it all started for this amazing woman. We read this in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, you may have heard the phrase Ave Maria. Maybe the music comes to mind as you hear that phrase, but it's based on this greeting by the angel. Ave Maria is Latin, and it literally means greetings, Mary, Ave Maria, greeting, Mary. But the angel didn't call her Mary by name. What he said was, greetings, you who are highly favored. Webster defines favor simply as approving attention. God isn't just passively watching us and the events of life unfold. He is looking for people who display some of the qualities that he loves, that are his favorite qualities. And when he sees those qualities in an individual life, He responds by allowing his favor to rest on those individuals. This is what happened to Mary 2,000 years ago. God had noticed some of his favorite qualities in her life. And that resulted in God's favor. Now, we don't have to guess what those qualities were because Mary herself wrote a song that indicates what she thought the qualities were in her life that led God to give favor to her. She identifies the themes. The purpose of the psalm is the song is not to glorify herself, but it is to kind of be a record of her understanding of why her. And that's one of the big questions that we're going to be addressing in this series why Mary? What is it about her that caused God to choose her for this amazing role in all of human history? Well, let's read the song, and then we're going to identify some of the themes that are in this song so that we, too, can understand how the favor of God might rest on us. Luke chapter 1, 46-55 are the lyrics to what is referred to as the Song of Mary. Here's what it says. And Mary said, here are the lyrics, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, as we begin, I want you to notice two words that are repeated throughout this song, the lyrics of this song of Mary. And those are the two words, he has. He has, God has done this, God has done that. Mary repeats several things that God has done. And it starts with some of the great things that God has done for Mary herself as an individual. But then she sets what God has done for her in the larger context of the long history of God doing these kinds of amazing things in the lives of many other people. And the point that Mary is making is she is, while unique in her particular role, she is not unique in all of history in the fact that God showed favor on her. God has been doing this and continues to do this before her and after her. She is making it very clear that she is not unique when it comes to God's favor. So she says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. These are deeds that preceded her. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel. But favor is always a two-way street. It goes both directions. There's favor and there's disfavor. So Mary goes on to talk about some of the evidences of what happens when someone falls out of God's favor. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones he has sent the rich away empty. So I think we'd all agree it's much better to have God's favor on your life rather than his disfavor. I think all of us would much prefer to have the hand of God lifting us up and helping us rather than opposing us and pushing us down. But before we look at Mary's summary of what it is, what qualities that she thinks attracts God's favor, before we look at that, I want to make a couple of clarifying observations about the favor of God in general and and how it tends to show up in life. The first clarifying observation is this. God's favor tends to be more macro than micro. What I mean by that is the evidence of God's favor shows up more in the long term, the, the big scope of life, than it does in the short term, how your life is going right now. In the last message of this series, we're going to be considering the suffering of Mary. And that's a theme because she had a very difficult life. Uh, She, I think we would agree, was picked for probably the or one of the most important assignments that God had for any human being, and yet her life was very difficult. She had a lot of suffering that she had to go through, and that's surprising for someone that the angel said was highly favored by God. I mean, if an angel approached you and said you are highly favored by God, you would think, wow, things are gonna get better. But Mary's response was one of fear because she knows that oftentimes when God chooses people, life gets really hard. And so she was somewhat concerned about what all of this meant, we are told in the verses that we just read. We tend to focus On the short term, we tend to evaluate our lives in God's favor in the short term. Another way of saying this is we, our main goal is just to have a good day. But that's not God's goal. I mean, if we have a good day, God's not disappointed, but he's thinking much bigger, and we should too. We focus on having a good day. God invites us to live a good life that will make an impact for all of eternity. Good days come and go. Life is a lot of ups and downs. But God's favor, when it rests on a person, remains. Not just over the course of their life, but it echoes into eternity. So now, Mary, as our example, at a distance of some 2,000 years, the suffering that Mary endured is is gone. It's, It's long over. But her impact and the evidence of God's favor on her life that continues. That's why we're still talking about her. The second clarifying observation I want to make is this. God's favor is more internal than external. In other words, you can't always see it as you look at the external aspects of a person's life. It's something that is experienced more on the inside than on the outside. See, if God's favor is on us, we would expect to see evidence of it with our eyes. But as God said to Mary, or as Mary said, rather, in this prayer, God has sent the rich away empty. There, there is a history. Not every person who's rich, God sends away empty in their heart. But the world is full of people who, on the outside, look like they were favored. But on the inside, they were empty. We just assume that the favor of God would show up in our bank account. And sometimes it does, but that's not a common connection, not necessarily. The favor of God shows up not in how full or empty our bank accounts are or the external trappings of our life are. It shows up in how full or empty our hearts are. That's the evidence of God's favor. So don't measure the favor of God based on how things look in your life today. God's favor goes much further and much deeper than that. So having made that clarification, now let's look at the two aspects that Mary identifies as to why she thinks God chose her and had favor on her. What is the quality in our lives that can invite God's favor? Here's the first one. Mary says, God is mindful of the humble. So the favor is God's mindfulness towards us. That's the evidence of God's favor. That's how his favor comes in part. What we can do to invite, request, attract God's favor, his mindfulness towards us, is humility. Here's what Mary says in Luke 1, 46-48. And Mary said, this is the beginning of the song, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. So let's look at the mindful part first, and then we'll look at the humble state of his servant. Mindfulness is a very popular word right now. We're told over and over again to pause uh, for moments of mindfulness. There are apps that help us be mindful. Uh, But the definition has gotten a little off from what the Bible defines it as. Oxford defines mindfulness as focusing one's awareness on the present moment. Now when it comes to God being mindful, it means something very different than that because God, well obviously he's not like us. He doesn't need to focus in order to be aware. He knows everything completely at all times. So unlike us, we forget important things and we need to pause to remember the things that really matter. God doesn't need to do that. So when it comes to the mindfulness of God that is seen in the pages of the Bible, what it means for God to be mindful is to select, to select someone. Now, we do this kind of selecting mindfulness as well. Uh, Let me give you an example in my life. One of the reasons that I selected Rebecca to be my wife is I couldn't stop thinking about her. My mind was full of thoughts about Rebecca. The problem was her mind not so much in the early (laughs) days. And I became aware of this, and so I was concerned that, you know, maybe I might select her, but she might not select me. I'm mindful of her. She, I don't think she's thinking about me much. And I remember one conversation when it occurred to me that in order for her to say what she said, she'd been thinking about me. And on the inside, I just went, yes, there's hope. You know, she's got all kinds of things she's thinking about, but I'm taking up some bandwidth there. There, There's something in her mind that is being given to me. And if there's something, there can be more. And maybe eventually her mind might be full of me, like my mind is full of her. And what that means is I might have a chance in selecting her, and she might say yes, which is what eventually happened. So we use that idea when we, you know, the idea of selecting means that our mind is on someone, And that's what it meant for God to be mindful of Mary. God was aware of every person living on the earth at the time. He didn't need to focus to remember who people were and what their names were, he knows, he created them. But he had his mind set on Mary as the one who would give birth to Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, which means he selected her, he was mindful of her. It is an amazing thing to know that you have been selected by God to do something, that your assignment came out of his mind, his selection. Now, Mother of God is not the only job title in the great plan of God. It is out of the mind of God that he gifts us and presents us with opportunities and selects us for the responsibilities that we have in life. What makes the assignment great is not how great it looks to others, but the fact that God has selected us for that assignment, just like he mindfully selected Mary. So mindfulness in the Bible is the really the opposite of how we describe mindfulness now. The mindfulness that we think of now is primarily inward-focused, kind of to think about yourself and and what you need. But mindfulness in the Bible is God thinking of us, and us thinking of Him. Getting our minds lined up with His mind. That's what mindfulness is. You see, God's mindfulness is not only His selection of us for important work, but our mindfulness, our awareness of what that work is. That's what gives us meaning In the routine, the mundane routines of life. You see, even though Mary was the mother of God, she had to do all of the mundane work that a mother does. If you have been a mother of a newborn, or you are a mother of a newborn, you know that your your days are not just glamorous days. There's just a lot of work and a lot of repetition. And as you raise kids, You have to say the same things over and over and over and over again. And your life begins to feel like, what is the point here? I was just talking to a a new mother the other day, and she was saying, I know that this stage passes, but right now it seems like this is all my life is ever going to be. And that's just the way the assignment is. Mary went through that. She was the mother of God, but that didn't come with nannies. She had to be the mother. There was the mundaneness of this. But it was God who gave her that assignment. And if you're a mother, it's because of God's favor in your life. He was mindful of you. So don't forget. There are no small assignments if God is the one who thought it up and gave it to you. But some assignments do come with greater honor in this life and in eternity. After the angel visited Mary, Mary visited Elizabeth, her cousin. This is what we read about that exchange. Luke chapter 1, 41 through 42. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. The idea in those verses is that that God's Spirit kind of took over Elizabeth's vocal cords and said these words through Elizabeth directly to Mary. And so God was saying, in the presence of these two women, Mary, you're blessed, and you will be forever honored among women. And that has been the case. I mean, we are talking about Mary two millennia after her death. Very few in all of history are ever remembered that long. But Mary is not just going to be remembered in human history because human history itself will eventually fade and be forgotten in the wash of eternity. Mary, we are told, is going to be prominent in all of eternity. That's a big assignment. And the encouraging news is we can be too. Not like Mary, but we can do the kinds of things That will be remembered for all of eternity how it's as we get clear on what our assignment from god is you know if you would like greater clarity in the assignment that god has given you that clarity will not originate from your own mind that clarity will originate from the mind of god it's as god first is mindful of us and then we become mindful and aware of what that selection is, what he has assigned for us to do. So if you're asking for him to be mindful of you, to clarify for you what your assignment is, then in a sense it's like any job that you apply for, you've got to know, well, what are the qualities that this person is looking for in the applicant for this job that I'm applying for? And Mary points to the, the top quality that God is looking for when he goes about the business of being mindful. Of selecting people for important assignments. The number one quality is humility. So Mary says he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The Christmas story, not just Mary, but everyone in the Christmas story pretty much, is really about the most unlikely of people turning out to be famous. People whose names we know now, who there are statues and they're in the nativity scene and in people that we're talking about. And in general, we love stories of the obscure rising to power. You know, kind of no-name people that no one thinks anything about suddenly has this amazing power. I mean, the whole Marvel universe is based on this idea of obscure people becoming amazingly powerful. And we love these stories because we have this sense that We are more important than we feel, or we'd like to be more important than we are. We feel obscure, but we also feel destined for more, and we're right. So Mary links God's mindfulness of her to her humble state. Her humble state was more than just her humble situation. Many were in that humble situation at that time in history, but Mary was humble Her humble state originated from the inside, where humility exists. So what does it mean to be humble? We could take a message, really an entire series on this. So I just wanna give you three statements that have helped me kind of center my mind around what am I pursuing if I'm pursuing humility? So here are three statements. More can be said, This this is kind of the beginning point. First of all, humility is having an accurate perception of yourself. It's having an accurate perception of yourself. Pride thinks entirely too much of itself. It thinks too high and too much of itself. But we make the mistake of thinking humility is just the op- opposite. I think low. I think poorly of myself. That is not humility. It's not the opposite. Humility is an, an accurate perception of who you are and what you're value really is rooted in. So that's the first statement. The second statement then is based on what is accurate. What's an accurate awareness for yourself? And this, I think, is a pretty good statement about this. The truth about you and me is that we are secondary and God is primary. Until we get that relationship right, every other attempt at humility is going to be false humility. It's going to be kind of a pasted-on act. But nothing's really changing in our heart and therefore eventually, like makeup, falls away and and goes away. What we mean by this is God is, is at the very center of our life and everything that we do and everything that we are orbits around him. He is primary, we are secondary. The third statement is the most practical humility reset is serving. What I'm saying is, you can say those words and really be convinced of them. You know, God is primary, I'm secondary. But until you serve, practically, your soul won't believe it. You won't be convinced about it. Because when you serve someone, for a brief moment even, you are, it's a secondary thing. You're serving someone else's purpose, someone else's agenda. It is the act of serving that resets our heart and moves us towards humility. We can't choose our way towards humility. We can't think our way towards humility. We have to act our way towards humility. Let me give you a personal example recently. November, this this past month, was a particularly busy month for me. And so I, I remember one Monday night, it was maybe three days before I realized I didn't have anything scheduled on Monday night. And secondarily, my wife, had an appointment out of the home. So you know what occurred to me? Monday Night Football. <laughs> I'm gonna watch an entire game. I mean, commercials, everything. I'm just gonna sit down and watch. I don't think I've watched the whole game. I mean, I've bits and pieces, but not the whole thing. So I was so excited because I was so tired, and I thought, you know what, I, I just need to rest, I need to reset, get ready for the next you know, set of busyness. So I I was excited. I sat down to watch the football game. The problem was, it was a horrible game. (laughs) The one game that I get to watch is an awful game. So about halftime, I'm like, I'm bored out of my mind. I'm restless. I'm kind of panicky because I've got this one night to rest and reset, and I get stuck with this awful game. And so... I don't think I really prayed. I just was kind of like frustrated. But then a thought came to my mind, and that was this: you know what? For this, the last several weeks, I everything in our home has been about me and my busy schedule. And this is what busyness tends to do. I think this is why people like to act busy, even if they're not. Because <laughs> when you uh, you act busy, then everybody's like, "Ooh, everybody has to orbit around you." And don't you know the busy person? Let's not get in their way, and let's let's take care of the busy person. And, that's what had subtly happened in our home. And and I realized there were several things that, Re, that Rebecca had really wanted to have happened that hadn't happened, because I'm busy. And I just had this, this remembrance that, you know, serving is what I really need. That's what really and so I just I turned off the boring game and I did a couple of things. Rebecca and I were talking about it, I can't even remember what I did. But it was just a couple of things. That, that I know would, would help her and that she would enjoy. And you know what happened? In, almost instantly, I felt refreshed. Even more than football, serving can really refresh you, which is, that was a mind-blowing <laughs> paradigm for me. But I, what happened is I got back in orbit around God and around my wife and some of her needs, and my energy returned. So God is mindful to the humble. Second thing Mary says is God is merciful to the reverent. So again, the favor of God shows up in his mercy. Shows up in his mindfulness. It also shows up in his mercy, Mary says. And the quality that Mary says that draws the mercy of God is the fear of God. Here's what she says in Luke 1.50. His mercy extends to those who who fear him from generation to generation. This is long-term favor. The mercy of God is his undeserved kindness and favor towards us. The way to think of it, it's, it's his hand raising us up rather than letting the gravity of our own sin just pull us under. Now, we tend to think of God's mercy as something we need when we sin. And that is true. But but sin is not just a set of behaviors, actions that we do from time to time. It is that, but it's more than that. Sin is the orientation of our hearts away from God. It's the placing of ourselves in the center and asking God and everyone and everything else to orbit around us. And we are constantly drawn to that. So we need God's mercy, not occasionally, but continually. So what can we do to request the mercy of God to help us in life? Mary says, he's merciful to those who fear him. What does it mean to fear God? We tend to see fear as as a negative thing. And it can be. But this kind of fear that we're talking about is, is the gift of fear. I mean, fear really is a gift from God for our protection, There are some things that we are afraid of because we need to be afraid of them. We need to be protected from some danger. There are real danger out there. But the fear of God is is more than just the fear of things we can see. Fear of God is is like long-range radar fear that informs us of dangers that are in the future that we can't even perceive. It's kind of like... Uh, You know, we're like planes flying through clouds. We need to see more than our eyes can see. We need radar because there's mountains looming in our future that we have no idea. We look out the window of our life and all we see is this. And we're flying into a mountain. We don't know. And God has said, if you will take me seriously, which is what it really means to fear God, if you will take me and my word seriously, I will protect you. I will guide you. But... Our own sinfulness tends to calibrate our radar to what we can see, not what we can't see. This started with the first sin. When Adam and Eve committed the first sin, what they really did was they calibrated their fear to close in, to what their eyes could see. What they took seriously was the forbidden fruit, not the God who said, don't eat of it, because if you eat of it, bad things will happen. They they ignored bad things will happen whatever that means to this is what I take most seriously right now and now us as their descendants we all naturally have our fear radars calibrated to what's up close and what's immediate rather than what's far away and what's eternal so we think the real scary stuff in life that we are facing are the battles we face for example with our health or with the people who oppose us or with our finances, or with matters of justice. Those are the things that really get us worked up and that we really take seriously. But all along, the real battle that most people have no concern about is the battle going on for our souls and the souls of people around us. And we just, our radar is not calibrated to that. And what God says is, you know, everything that you're so afraid of is coming and going. It's temporary. It's like these props on the stage. Aren't these doesn't the stage look neat? Now, what if during December you you got your heart wrapped around these props? Because they're going after December. But let's say you got your hearts wrapped around these props. You'd miss the point of what we're getting. We're not gathering here to say, oh, look at that prop. <laughs> Hopefully you're listening to some of what takes place on stage. Hopefully you're worshiping with the band, you're worshiping God. This is just the context. These are not the point, but this is what we do all the time. We take the stuff of life, the props, and we make it the point, and we miss the point. Because our fear, what we take seriously, is miscalibrated. So how can we recalibrate our fear to the things that really matter for all of eternity? Well, that's what the word revere really means. Revere means to show differential honor to. The operative word is show. There's evidence of it. In other words, if God is real to us, if we really decide to take him seriously, it will move out of our heads and it will show up with our lives in what we do. And the reason is because God has made us not only as physical beings, but we also have souls. And our souls aren't just these spiritual entities that kind of hang out inside of our bodies. Our souls and our bodies are, are connected in a mysterious way we don't understand. There's a symbiotic relationship between our bodies and our souls. What I mean by that is what is going on in our soul has physical effects on our body. There's all kinds of research that shows to that. What's going on inside your heart and your head, that affects your body. And the reverse is true. The things that our body does affects our soul. There's this symbiotic relationship. So if you and I decide, you know what, I want to take God more seriously, but our body doesn't get involved, our soul will not believe it. It just won't, because that's not how we're designed. Our bodies need to get involved. You can make a decision with your soul, but if your body doesn't get involved, it's not going to happen. So let me give you a few examples. Why do you, so many of you, gather here most Sundays? Is it because you have nothing else to do? No. I mean, some of you are already thinking about what I got to do this afternoon. No, you do this, why? Out of reverence for God. When we do this on Sundays, what we are telling our bodies is that God is central. That's what we're saying. If this isn't a priority, then we're saying the opposite. This this is just one of the many things in orbit in my life. This is not God is not central. He's something that I refer to as needed. So that's one of the ways we revere God is by gathering on Sundays to worship him and hear from his work. Another example, why do so many of you tithe? I mean, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? I mean, 10% of your income, give it back to God. Why, why does God even say that? And why would you do that? I've had a lot of non-Christian friends say, what's, what's wrong with you guys? And I thought, well, I've wondered too. Is it because we, we can't think of a single other thing to do with our money? Oh, that's not the way it is for me. I, I can think of other things that I could do. So why would anyone do that? Why would you guys do that? Out of reverence for God. You see, you can say, I take God seriously. He is my priority. But if you don't gather regularly to worship him, your body is telling your soul, not really. And the other thing about our bodies is they need money and if our money doesn't get involved you know what our bodies are telling our soul not really not really but you may be saying no i really feel it not really why do so many of us carve out time most mornings to read the bible and pray is it because we have nothing to do we we, we you know we, we we've got so much time no It's because we need our fear radar calibrated every single day. You know, the thing about our souls and our bodies is every time our bodies sleep, our souls forget. I mean, that's just the way it is. You wake up in the morning and you know the process where am I? Who am I? What day is this? Add to that, who is God? What am I about? Why does my life matter? All of those things. So we sit down and we carve out time every day as much as we can because our bodies need to inform our souls that God is a priority. We take him seriously. In the last mention of Mary, you know what we find her doing? Gathering with others to revere God. Acts 1 verse 14. They all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what she said about God is merciful to those who fear him wasn't just a statement. This was her life. So the question that I think that Mary would challenge us if she was here, I think what she might say is, how have you structured your life to fear God and show him respect? I don't care what you say. I don't care how deeply you feel. I don't even care the tears you cry about it. How how are you showing reverence for God? So I have some next steps for us to consider as we wrap up. Number one, if you have not done this, I would encourage you to start by accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. This is where the favor of God begins. This is where his mercy begins. If you're not sure what that means, let us know on the connection cards. There's a, there's a box or a button there you can check. So you're, you want some more information about that, we'll get in contact with you and help you figure that out. Second next step, pick an Advent plan from the Uversion Bible app. So today is the first day of Advent. Advent is a tradition in the Christian church. It's not in the Bible, but it's a great tradition where we take the days leading up to Christmas and we remember the significance of this event. So this app um, has got a bunch of different Bible reading plans. So just download the app. You don't have it. Type in, look in, there's a Bible plan button. Type in Advent plans, and there's just a bunch of plans you can pick from. Pick one and read through the story of Christmas in the days leading up to Christmas. So guess number three is make gathering in church priority for the next three months. I don't know what that means for you. I'm not saying don't ever miss a Sunday. I missed last Sunday. I was on vacation. You know that that, that's that's okay. What I'm saying is wherever you're at, up the priority. Make make it a priority for the next three months. I didn't say one month because again the way our bodies work is just like the new day, the new year, everything we forget. So let's go for three months to the end of February. Make it a priority. Together on Sundays and with your body say, God, you're a priority. You're a priority. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your mindfulness of us. We can't think of ourselves and be mindful in the way our culture describes it and really come up with true meaning because we were created in your image. We were designed to orbit our lives around you. So I pray that for everyone here, you would speak to us specifically about how we might revere you, how we might practically with our bodies, with our calendars, with our time, with our money, actually put you in the center. And may we take those steps. We need your mercy. We need your favor. We need your help. And we thank you that you offered so generously. We pray this now in the name of you, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.